0: Father God, that is why we're here. We're here to praise you, Father, and to praise our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we don't just remember you on the high days and the holidays, the Christmas nativities, but every day of our lives. We thought of you in the excitement of Advent, and now we think of you in the day-to-day when the bins are full of recycling and everything's been opened and packed away. You are constantly with us. And help us to think about you and remember you and everything you've done for us and to follow you into this new year. Amen. just going to think about our, our family um, here at the Bethel and with our care news, first of all. And uh, on Christmas Eve, we, we lay to rest uh, Rob, and he sleeps now, awaiting the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a message from Rachel Hayes, who is Rob's sister. Uh, and she writes, Members of Rob's family, Ben, Sandra, Liz, Rachel, and both their children and families, would like to thank the brethren and sisters of Old Trafford for the messages of sympathy, love and support at Rob's funeral and during the final days and hours of Rob's life. So a message of thanks from from Rob's family. And uh, Andrews sent me a message that we heard uh, very recently that Pauline Price was taken to Stepping Hill Hospital on Christmas Day. So we'll we'll pray together in a moment, but does does anyone have anybody that'd like to, to remember together? we'll pray together in a moment i'll um, i'll open the prayer and give you opportunity for your own prayers and then and then close together father god lord as we think of all these names they're not just names they're people they're friends they're family and it brings home the contrast of christmas that it, sometimes it can be an amazing family experience full of laughter and joy and sometimes it can be a time of of loneliness and uh, it highlights some of the problems that we face in our lives lord you've heard all all the people who we've been thinking about we remember pauline who was has taken to hospital on christmas day <laughs> We think of Rob's family and the grief that they're bearing at this time. We think of um, Becky's cousin Ben, um, who's in hospital with his schizophrenia, and his father Edwin. We think of Isaac turning 17 and the big decisions that his family faces. We pray for Devin and Christine and a blessing on their family and Joel and Jasmine. We think of Heather's Uncle Peter. We think of Marianne's neighbour, Auntie Mary, and Caitlin and Bella. We think of Steve Proven and we pray that, as Steve said, this will be the year where things fall into place for him and he can make a difference to his own life. We think of Mark's dad, Steve, and the challenges he faces in the new year. We think of Amy Lee and her long-term difficulties with illness. We think of John Bernan and the challenges which we can barely imagine that he faces. And we think of Hazel and her husband and the uh, news that they've had all these names Father but they're not just names they're people and where we don't know them you do and we pray for your blessing and comfort and strength to be around them
1: Father hear our prayers
0: Great God in heaven thank you for opening the way and turning your ear to our hearts, weakened, mortal though we are. thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. Amen. We bow down and confess that you are Lord in this place. Whatever the issues, whether they 're good times or bad times, you are all I need, and it 's your face that I seek in the presence of your light. We bow down. So Christmas Day is over. Now it's Christmas Days, the period where traditionally we sit back and wonder whether it was worth it in the first place. And and maybe with some more time on our hands, there is uh, the opportunity to reflect, isn't there? To think about the year that has passed and the year that's coming up. And to uh, just dwell on what we'd like to do, to have some, think about our expectations for the year. And so, this morning is basically an opportunity to think about our expectations for the new year. Um, but but first, I do have to provide an update because um, it turned out that the last exhortation I gave here was perhaps the most controversial I have ever given. It certainly produced the most anger and wrath. It's true all directed at Julia (laughs) because I I revealed that um, she had asked me to declutter and in in the process get rid of half my books well that was the touch paper lit so I do feel that I do have to say that my Christmas present this year was a bookcase (laughs) so I can put the few remaining books (laughs) in somewhere where I can proudly display them so I I felt I should uh, update on that so we're going to consider our expectations for, for the new year And we're going to use the morals of two myths a little bit later on But first of all, our New Testament reading for the day Gives us a bit of a context um, for basically our whole lives It's a bit of a reminder really And as we go into the new year, it, it is, we should keep it on our horizon uh, Some of us will have watched uh, Christmas Carol over the Christmas period We watched the, the new Disney version And, of course, that's a story where Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by three spirits, the spirit of Christmas past, present, and future. And the idea is that it's a warning to him that if he doesn't change his ways, this is what will inevitably happen. In this reading we're going to take um, from Revelation chapter 14, we are visited by three angels. And they're the angels of New Year's future. And they tell us what is inevitably going to happen as a warning so that we can shape our lives accordingly. Um, And it doesn't hold back. It's not really the kind of stuff of Sunday exhortations normally. Um, But it confronts us and we need to think about it. So we're going to read from Revelation chapter 14. Uh, We're going to read the first uh, 13 verses. And Rosie is going to read that first. Thank you, Rosie.
2: Revelation 14. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters, and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was, was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as firstfruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone receives the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There's no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labour for their deeds will follow them.
0: Thank you, Rosie. It is a challenging section full of vivid, to say, say the, the least, uh, imagery. But it starts off with the first angel, doesn't it, in, uh, in verse 6. An angel flying midair who had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language and people, I like that phrase, that the, the gospel is eternal, and it goes out to the whole world. It's, I think that challenges us in the way we think about the gospel, that it has a kind of, universe, of universality which sometimes we struggle to appreciate. It is an eternal gospel. Um, this, I was li- listening to um, Desert Island Discs this week because one of my heroes was on it, uh, Commander, uh, Commander Chris Hadfield, the astronaut, and as part of it, at one point he said, "I wish that everybody could see the patience and the eternity of the Earth." He was saying that because he knows that that would change everybody's perspective on their lives. And I think that's a, a lovely image to think about when you think about the eternal gospel going out to every tribe, every nation, every people's on the earth. to think about the patience. An eternity of that orb spinning beautifully through the solar system, eon after eon, constant, millions of years after millions of years. And I think that's a great image of the gospel, eternal gospel to every people on the planet. But the next two angels are a little less serene. <laughs> Um, David introduced his excitation last week by saying, Merry Christmas everybody, enough of that, <laughs> let's get down to the fire and brimstone. Here we go. <laughs> um, to get some good old apocalyptic stuff. The second angel says, and Fallen is Babylon the great. In verse 8, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. There's loads of different opinions of what Babylon is. I don't even want to go there. The most important thing I think to think about is that Babylon represents every human construction that will inevitably come to an end. Every power that takes us away from recognizing God in our lives, in our hearts, that is what Babylon is. And it has to come to an end. It's the inevitable uh, inevitable truth of the matter. The way it's described here in Revelation is that this power of Babylon is intoxicating, that it makes you lose your mind, if you like. That's the power of Babylon. But it will come to an end. It will come to nothing. And so we have to think about how emotionally attached we are to our Babylons in our life. What are the things which intoxicate us to the point where we can't see God, that we can't think about Jesus and follow him in our lives? And the third angel. We don't get too many exhortations about the wine of God's fury. (laughs) Probably a good thing, I'd say. Um, Perhaps that's because we struggle with the idea. I certainly do. Um, And we'd probably like to turn our attention to much more positive things. But it's here, and it's part of it. I'd like to read a quote from um, a book by Thomas Gaston on Revelation. Because he says, The Bible does not speak of two gods, a nice, fluffy, cuddly God, and an angry, revengeful God. There is only one God, who is love in its perfection. Love without judgment would become hollow and meaningless. The wrath of God does not nullify God's grace and mercy. It gives meaning and power. The wrath of God comes upon the wicked exclusively. The wrath of God condemns sin. I think that's a helpful way to frame um, the wrath of God. An idea that I I find helpful is I think about the things which really make my blood boil. I'm going to say probably top of the list for me is bullying. I hate bullying. I can feel that hatred all the way through my body, that someone would willingly make another individual's life a misery. Oh, really? And and that in that, I feel I can grasp something of the importance of the wrath of God. We are supposed to hate the things which are sin, which are, in other words, the things that hurt humanity, the things that bring pain and suffering. We should hate it. And God is patient. The gospel is eternal, but there is a point on the horizon where it has to come to an end. The suffering. And, and the pain. And that's what God's wrath is all about. When you think about good and evil and those extremes, it's kind of easy to understand the wrath of God. Of course, there's the grey areas in between, and that's where um, life isn't so binary. But the principle's important, and we must trust, trust God. And what's really important is that the gospel comes first, the first angel comes first. The gospel, the eternal gospel, comes before any judgment. So that everyone um, has a chance to turn to God and to know him and to make their decisions. The language is so vivid. We get the, the in verse 10, tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night. Such vivid language. But here we can be thankful for our Christadelphian theology because we don't believe in hell torment as being an everlasting punishment. We don't believe that God is like that. God is not the vindictive God. This is a picture, it's it's an expression of how bad it is to be separated from God. It's not a real torment of people's souls, it's just the reality of what it is to not know God, to be taken away from God forever which is what the final judgment um, is all about. So as we gaze into this new year, the ultimate horizon line is the return of Jesus. And we pray for that to happen, but in doing so, we can't ignore the tribulation that that brings. And it comes to all of our hearts. It pierces our souls in many ways. And with that in mind, it's... And with Rob in mind, actually, it's worth dwelling on verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, "Right, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. They will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. And Rob is resting. Rob has run his race, and the crown awaits him. He's free from, the, from all, all of the um, judgment that this describes. So that's the event horizon. But what about day-to-day lives? How do we approach our lives on a day-to-day basis? And I said that we'd talk about two myths, and that's what we're going to do now. The first myth is a a Greek myth about someone called Pygmalion. Pygmalion was a sculptor from Cyprus, and he swore himself off relationships, um, and instead he devoted himself to sculpting. And he made the figure of a woman that was so beautiful he fell in love with the statue he'd made. And one day he, he decided he had to kiss the statue made. So he kissed the statue that he'd constructed. And as he kissed the statue the lips became warm and slowly the statue turned from rock to a real living breathing human being. And he fell in love uh, with this person. And the moral of this story is that if you make something to be beautiful, then it will become even more beautiful. That's the moral of Pygmalion. The second myth is a Jewish myth, and it's one about a a different type of figure called a golem. Now, In the 16th century, the Jewish community in Prague um, were worried about anti-Semitic attacks, so they made a golem. Now, in, in mystic Jewish mythology, a golem is a statue which you mould out of clay. And the idea is it becomes real, but it's, it's a brute. It's a real kind of dumb, stupid, thuggish um, type uh, creature. And they made this golem t- to protect them from anti-Semitic attacks. But the problem is this golem became corrupt in its life. And it actually started to destroy the community from within. So the moral of that story is if you make something to be horrible, then it will probably become even more horrible. And those two mythical creatures of Pygmalion and Golem have given their, been taken as, and given their names to two effects in psychology, the Pygmalion effect and the Golem effect. And it's kind of seen in education a lot. Whereas if you are an educator and you have um, some children, if you believe in them, that they are capable of great things, then you'll get a better outcome uh, in, in their education. However, if you look down on them, think them as stupid and not worth anything, then you will exaggerate that effect, the well-known effects in psychology. That if you go into something with optimism and, and belief, glass half full, you'll get a better end result than if you go into it negative. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, prophecy if you like. So how does that translate into our lives in this new year that's approaching? We need to have high expectations. We need to believe that we are creating something beautiful. And in that way, we will fulfill that prophecy with God's blessing. We're going to set our hearts on something that's better and more beautiful. With that in mind, we're going to um, read from Ephesians and um, chapter 2. And Becky is going to read the first ten verses.
3: Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And God raised us up with Christ, and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do.
0: Thanks, Becky. I chose that passage partly because I think it actually links the Revelation ideas with um, the ideas that I want to move on to. It starts off with us, um, basically, being controlled by Babylon, um, intoxicated by Babylon. In verse three, it says, "Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts and objects of God's wrath." So it starts off with us in Babylon, but then it says we've moved out of that. We've we've changed our allegiance, and now we're with Christ, made alive in Christ, no longer intoxicated. Uh, by Babylon. And it's unswerving in its sense of positivity about you and me. Verse 10 says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. That's the expectation for 2016. That's the beauty which we're here to create, being part of God's workmanship. So don't dwell on the negative. Don't dwell on the things that you can't do. Don't dwell on arguments or dispute. Don't dwell on anything except the fact that we are God's workmanship. Not only is that the truth, but also in dwelling on that positiveness, it will make us better. We'll produce better things. We'll, we'll work together better will glorify God better because we are God's workmanship. The predestination aspect is difficult to get your head around, isn't it? God prepared works that God prepared in advance for us to do. It's difficult to get your head around that. I think probably you need to be God to understand that fully. And I don't think... <laughs> to understand the the all-encompassing nature of God who... With who, in whom the universe exists, if you like. I think once you understand that, then you understand predestination. So we'll just park the idea. But it's what it is, it's empowering, isn't it? To know that God has each of us in mind and has great things for us to do. Great doesn't necessarily mean that we can have the TV cameras around. Great means great in God's eyes. The things that God values that bring him glory, that are gracious and loving and peaceful and full of joy. That's what the eternal gospel is all about, isn't it? God is saying you can be part of this eternal beauty, this constancy. And in Jesus we can see it face to face. Here, O oh my Lord, I see Thee face to face. Here would I touch and handle things unseen. Here grasp with firmer hand the eternal grace and all my weariness upon Thee lean. I'm going to share bread and wine in a moment and remember the eternal gospel. The angel flew through the air carrying the scroll of the eternal gospel. That there is a better way to live. That life has hope. That life has meaning. That there is a reason for it all. And all that is contained in this bread and wine. So we going to give thanks to the bread through Simon.
4: Wow Lord, what you have done for us. You sent your son who we've remembered in the last couple of days was born in Bethlehem in very humble circumstances where shepherds came to worship. Who grew in your strength and in your glory. Who preached that message of hope, that gospel of good news and who died for us. Lord, you, it is so good that we know that you have a plan and a purpose for us. And we come Sunday by Sunday to remember the great love that you have for us. And so Lord, as we look forward to 2016, Help us not just to fret about the things that are happening on this earth, but help us to look forward to the time when Jesus will be back and all the turmoils and all the troubles will be done away with and we will stand in front of him, giving him glory. And Lord, we thank you for that privilege and that honour. And that has only come through the Lord Jesus' death, which we remember now. We thank you that, Lord God, that you gave him for us. Help us to show his love to others. Through Jesus we ask our prayer. Amen.
0: Loving Lord God, our Father, we we honour and praise you this morning. We all reflect on our lives and our positions as we come to the end of another year. Time seems to be going so fast, Lord, and so
1: little time to focus our lives and to serve you as we ought. This morning, Lord, we are able to come together to reflect on the Lord
0: Jesus and what he has done and what he does for us today and beyond. We see this cup of wine and we think about all that it represents to us and we, we say thank you Lord Jesus for giving your life totally for those who believe and trust in you. Help us in the new year Lord Jesus to continue to fight our battles to be soothed by your love in our lives and to be more positive and may next year be the year of your amazing return. Amen. take the the positivity into the new week and the new year. Firstly, I want to serve the purpose of God. We are God's workmanship. He wants us to do
1: great things. Almighty Lord God, the Lord of all life, we thank you for freedom, freedom on many levels, freedom through Jesus Christ our Saviour and freedom practically to come to this place this morning and share time together and we have already sung Lord that we bow down and confess you are in this place but it isn't in this room that you are you are in the place that you take us to you are in the place that we seek to drive ourselves into through Jesus. And so we pray as we end this meeting together that as we go to the little places that we live in our houses and our lives, we pray you will come with us. You will help us to take you with us, that you will be in those places also. It is wonderful to think positive things as we have been faithfully exhorted this morning It's also so challenging to forget those things through our weakness. But we pray you will help us not to forget them in facing a new year, to be thankful for the past, to be positive about the future, to truly value that we are your workmanship, created through Jesus unto eternity. And your true invitation to us is that we will be in the place that you are, forever in your glory and in your purpose and that's the only reason you have created us and we come here this morning to be reminded of this not just temporarily reminded but to be able to permanently remember every moment of our life that that is the purpose of our birth and our life accept our thanks therefore for this privilege we pray be with us all Help us all that we have need of and those who are not with us this morning particularly. Forgive our weaknesses, we pray, and help us to love you as much as you have loved us. And we offer our thanks and our prayer in the name of Jesus.